Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Miles checking in with you guys once again. And I just want to tell you guys, thank you for listening. This is episode seven and it has been interesting. <laughs> it, it I don't know what else to say besides in this journey, it has just been interesting. That's all. I'm not going to ramble too much. By the title, you should be able to tell that this episode is dedicated to all things French Open 2020. Me and my friend Brian are going to be sitting down once again and going through our thoughts about the French Open, what we liked, what we didn't like, the players that made some impacts on us, the players that eventually won the trophies, and all of that good stuff. There's just two things that I wanted to mention before we hop into the conversation. I did want to say before you guys listen to it and are like, what is this? <laughs> the audio quality is not my best. It's probably, I don't want to say this, but it's probably the audio quality that I'm least proud of. It has nothing to do with Brian or me. I think it was just one of those instances where things just did not work. <laughs> and that's just life happens life works out that way so the audio quality is not the best there's definitely some choppiness in it for whatever reason zoom just decided to work against us that day and i salvaged what i could and i think there are some really good points to the conversation that i still wanted you guys to hear so that's why i did the best job i could in editing the audio so that you guys could have a at least a decent audio listening experience because that's the main goal or that's the objective of most of this so <laughs> um so bear with me in that regard and there was something else i wanted to mention oh i know what i want to say the podcast is up and running on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms that includes apple music spotify stitcher google podcast iHeartRadio, tune in and a bunch more so make sure that you are spreading the word if you are enjoying the content of the podcast, I really do appreciate every listen I get and all the feedback I've been getting. It's been mostly good for the most part, and and I'm just appreciative of that. So without me further rambling, like I said, I wasn't going to do it in the first place. For right now, I'm going to lead us into the conversation that Brian and I had. Hope you enjoy it. I'll see you guys on the other side of that conversation to wrap up the show, and hope you guys enjoy. You know, I was thinking before I literally just, we just hopped on, you are officially a friend to the pod. <laughs> I am I officially, officially <laughs> <laughs> special guest star. Special guest star, special guest star consistency is in, is in the name of the game for you. This, I think this is your third time. <laughs> this is our third Number time. Three. Number three, I'm excited. But I really can't, I, I was looking at, um like you know we send each other articles and stuff or tweets to read throughout the um two weeks in the slam and i'm just like i can't think of anybody else that <laughs> would tolerate basically almost three weeks of tennis like <laughs> talking about it no one can take it because roland garros i thought the french open was like i mean i thought the u.s open was pretty lengthy but the french open it's i feel like we've been watching the same tournament for three weeks <laughs> it Dragged for sure, considering that they like they showed qualifying too on TV. So mm -hmm. we've literally been watching Roland Garros for three weeks or two and a half at the at the least, because you rarely see them um, 
what's the word uh televised uh, the qualifying, qualifying matches you yeah so so yeah so it was interesting seeing that um on tv because most slams you know don't cover it that is true that i mean now that you put it like that because i have some gripes i was just about to say like i have some gripes with tennis channels coverage but one of the one of the pros is that they show that and i can't mm -hmm. remember the, the last time i've been able to kind of just sit back and see who makes the qualifying of a tournament but in this tournament it actually turned out kind of cool because a lot of those players did well <laughs> in the actual they made it, it pretty deep than, i mean <laughs> honestly it was more than a lot maybe they knew that the the cameras were rolling and they were like i need to get my <laughs> i need to get my sponsorship game up or something <laughs> gotta step it up a, an extra notch <laughs> yeah yeah because uh they came out meaning business yeah people were watching and they were like you know what let me get this qualifying money and then go in this main draw and get some more money because it's been a rough couple of months and i can't blame them i really can't i mean a True. lot of people like with this basically six months that the tennis tour basically stopped a lot of people weren't making income because you are your body is the thing that gets you the money and then yeah. not only that for tennis to be such an individual sport it almost still takes a village and Mm -hmm. You have to pay those people that you're constantly around to make sure you're in tip-top shape or that you're ready to compete. So it was, it was rough. So it was nice to see some new faces and some unheard stories in this tournament. But we'll get to that. Yes. Uh, I wanted to start off mentioning what well, we were talking about um, coverage. And from the very first day of coverage, you could tell that it was going to be a strange French Open. Well, not only because it's normally played in May, June, it's now played in October, and they have a new roof over the stadium, and it being in October means it is super duper cold and gets dark freezing. super, yeah, freezing cold to the point where <laughs> yeah. the players were wearing parkas. Did you see any parkas out there or um, puffer jackets that you liked? Literally, it, it looked pretty ridiculous out there. Um, I know we've been hypercritical, and I think it's justified of the French Open, but one pro that I will give them is that they did plan ahead and brought in the, the temporary lights because Roland Garros usually does not have lights for their outside Isn't that courts, funny, though? So they, I know, but the fact that they actually thought it head and was like oh it's good it's gonna get dark earlier we should have lights so you know get to the tournament in a timely fashion i will give them that one plus for that because i was not because it's tough especially in that area because rolling girls is in a residential neighborhood literally, like, literally just someone's out, door <laughs> just outside the street it's like apartments and homes and everything so it's like I know that they probably weren't so happy about it because the lights more than likely are shining directly into their homes. But somehow they're able to get it done. So good on them for that because the, the tournament definitely would not have been able to function correctly had they not had those lights. And it'll be interesting to see if they bring them back for future years or if it was just this year well, because of they the just confirmed played in September, October. I was looking at my timeline and the actual official Roland Garros Twitter uh, tweeted out that they will have night tennis in 2021. Like the actual fact that the tournament was able to proceed without too many problems outside of the fact that it was cold. They right. had lights, like frigidly cold. The fact 
they had lights and they had just installed that new retractable roof. So they really, although, like he said, we were hypercritical and they do deserve a lot of. They do. <laughs> <laughs> the French definitely deserve their title of Detroit of the Grand Slams. They definitely deserve it. I mean, basically, you had to have Tennis Channel or Tennis Channel Plus to enjoy this tournament. Right. because the other coverage from like i don't want to call it basic cable but the channels everybody can get like nbc right, right. nbc only had i want to say they had three days maybe four tops of the entire two weeks yeah yeah and it was yeah. the original it was maybe like three hours on the very first sunday of the tournament on the first round and then they had championship weekend showing the women's final and the men's finals and in those finals those finals weren't very long. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then I would I would ballpark that they showed ten hours of the Roland, of Roland Garros outside of Tennis Channel, and then they weirdly showed like matches that had already happened because when the Stefano Tsitsipas uh, Djokovic match was going on, they were when they were it was going on on Tennis Channel. They were showing the Nadal Schwartzman semifinal. When yeah. I'm like, there's, there's currently another live semifinal on, and you're showing the Nadal Schwartzman fight. I think one of the gripes of the French Open is that they are the only Grand Slam that doesn't have a substantial contract with a television company outside of Tennis Channel, and I think they have a contract, but they don't have the contracts to get tennis on ESPN or like in Australia. They have like like the the Seven Network or something like that, and then in in London they have the BBC. They don't really have a substantial TV network contract, so it's and it's I guess in a way they do, but then in other ways they don't because all those other networks are networks that you don't have to like basically get an extra package for. It comes right. in the local it comes in the local uh, package that you get if you have cable. Right. I don't know. They shoot themselves in the foot, but I think they make their money on the back end, which was interesting this year. They make their money from the fact that there's so much tourism and people are just so excited to eat French food and soak up the French experience that they get their money. Kind of like when we were in Indian Wells, there's like a Nobu and like stuff like that. They take mm -hmm. all of that to the 10th power and they get so much um, revenue from the fact that people are spending money drinking all the French wines and stuff while they play. <laughs> Right. And if you don't have, if you only, if you can only have 1,000 fans per per session or per day of the tournament, you're not getting in that $500 tab <laughs> for the white <laughs> bottle of wine or whatever, you know, so. You know what I just now realized, now that you're saying that, was missing from the finals this year? What? It's something that the fans always have on championship weekend at the French Open. Is it wine no, or champagne? No. If you look at, I don't know if it's just championship weekend or if they have them throughout the tournament, but like you'll clearly see a bunch of people in the stands wearing like those white, almost like cowboy looking hats with like the orange stripe around, around mm. it, mm. around the brim. Interesting. Well, I mean, speaking of colors, they definitely changed some of the ambiance and aesthetic because they went from those ugly green chairs to like a more beige kind right. of light brown color i think it the even though the tournament was definitely weird they also had some 
signs of encouraging moving forward. Like I'm maybe in 10 years from now, I won't, I won't hate the French Open so much, you know? Right. Right. No, I feel you on that. I I definitely like the seat changes. I, I sat in those seats. Um, because those are the ones on the greenhouse court. They have those same seats, and they're very, very comfortable. So whoever came up with that did a, did a good job. Well, let's get into the players and how they basically digested their French Open and how we digested it while we watched it. Their, well, the women's singles finalist was Iga. Oh, my God. I can't believe I said that. The, <laughs> the women's singles finalist was Iga Swiatek. I definitely just mispronounced her name. Her name is pronounced Iga Swiatek. And I'm going to be the first to try to start this movement since Brad Gilbert, the ESPN commentator, didn't like my suggestion or my, I didn't suggest this actually. Um, what's the other tennis commentator? The one that basically sits in the middle all the time from Tennis Channel. He's a young guy. Got it. I know who you're talking about, but I don't know his name. I have to find his name. Because, anyway, he, he replied to Brad Gilbert trying to find a name or a, a nickname for Igor Swiatek because so many people were struggling trying to actually pronounce her name. And then he, mm-hmm. the, the Tennis Channel commentator I'm referring to, he recommended High Tech, which I think is perfect. I Iga love High Tech. I like High Tech. I like I High Tech. I like it. She's she she kind of plays like she's high tech in a way, you know. She, like she uses she uses every part of the court. And if you haven't watched Iga Swiatek play or Iga High Tech play, then you kind of are missing out on a on a treat because you know how some people will say that some female players play like males. I think that's somewhat true. She of, definitely does. Yeah, I think that's somewhat true of her, but it's not. It's not overt in a way, like with Jennifer Brady or a throwback Amelie Moresmo. It's not like the first thing you notice. She uses a lot more spin for sure. She constructs the point a lot more, whereas most of the women who dominate tend to play, as Miss Pam Shriver says, big babe tennis. (laughs) With the big babe tennis, it's all or nothing. Flat balls, uh, ground strokes. But um, yeah, anytime you find a a woman who actually can use spin, but she's aggressive, but it's a con- controlled aggression where like she's still going for shots and still going for the ball and hitting it hard. But with so much spin and craftiness, she's able to, you know, it's a more complete game. She has margin for error that a lot of other women don't have. Lots of margin for error. And she gave herself error, lots of margin for, sure. for error because she didn't drop a single set in the tournament. And no one won. She did not. No one won more than four games against her in the entirety of the tournament in a single set. Which is crazy. For context, I found, I came across two things. So actually, I came across more than a few things to give context to how, how insane and crazy, but also... I, I, because I was a fan of her before this tournament, I feel like this is like her coming out party, but I already knew a little bit of her backstory because I saw the potential in her. And for a lot of people, they literally did not know who she was from a can of paint because she's ranked number 54 in the world. (laughs) (laughs) She she represents Poland. Poland does not have a rich history of like producing wonderful tennis players, but her not um, giving away more than four games in a set 
was the best Grand Slam performance since Serena Williams at the 2014 U.S. Open without dropping a set, and no one got more than three games in a set against Serena. And then here we have Suyantec in 2020 at the French Open, did not lose a set, and the most games a player got from her is four in a single set. And then combined, players only won five games against her. Everybody got a breadstick except a breadstick is when you only win (laughs) one game in a set, like it's (laughs) 6-1. Every every single person she played, even in the final, she gave them a breadstick except guess who she didn't give a breadstick to? (laughs) Miss Jeannie Bouchard. Yep. <laughs> got got her two and three. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, though, when you just look at it as numbers-wise. And shout out to Jeannie Bouchard. I mean, literally, she gave Iga the best test of the tournament. <laughs> she really did. She really did. And to say, to say that that was two and three was like her toughest test is pretty crazy that that is someone's toughest test in a Grand Slam. And I feel like even though she didn't come out of – complete nowhere like how did it it feels like she never got nervous the entire time like she just felt like I should be playing this way like what it it still just felt kind of all of a sudden because who did she lose to in Rome she lost to Arantxa Roos who's ranked lower Ooh. than her in two sets such in a Rome. weird loss That's yeah such a weird loss there was nothing yeah sometimes when a player has a breakthrough like this and they're like lower rank you can look back at their previous couple weeks or something and see but with her case you have to look back at last year (laughs) because i think even last year wasn't like that telling that she would blow through the field like this like yeah but she at least that was her i want to say that was her first time at the 2019 french open she got to the fourth round and lost to simona Halep, who she beat at this tournament amidst all of those bagels and breadsticks i don't think she gave anybody a bagel but the breadsticks right. that I mentioned, she beat Simona Halep 6-2, 6-1 fourth round, or a variation of that. It was 6-1, 6-2, or 6-2, 6-1. Either way, she spanked her, and Simona Halep was the number one seed, right? Right. And Simona Halep had a chance to leave that tournament ranked number one. That was the first time she, like, basically woke him up. <laughs> that was her biggest win on a Grand Slam yeah. stage. And people were like, okay, she is starting to arrive. But not only did she start to arrive, she kept it going. And, like, she kept that high level. And what's even crazier is she has not even won, like, a regular standard WTA tour title. That was her very first (laughs) title ever. Most of the tournaments that shell out the big cash are on the WTA tour. And then there's a level below that for women called the ITF tour, which is just the international tennis federation. And they have like lower sets of prize money and they're played in more uh, rural areas. And (laughs) she had only won tournaments on that scale. And if anybody is listening from Alabama, shout out to you, especially if you're from Pelham, Alabama, she won an ITF, which is basically like a minor league tournament. 2018, actually. 2018, she won Mm -hmm. in Alabama because she, every ITF final she got to that year, she won. So, you, like, there are, I don't want to say that she's inconsistent. I don't want to say that. But there are, like, definitely spurts in her career that you're like, okay, this this girl can play. Well, when you think about it, she turned pro last year. 
like she's, she's only not, 19 i don't think we've said that she's, she's only 19 yeah because like <laughs> she was she was literally playing roland garros juniors in 2018 right so it's like she hasn't even had a full two years of being a pro like she literally just started last year which is insane she's had Do like, you know what, a year I think, a year and some change on tour i think there's a really really strong element that she like she has an upside that a lot of people her age one don't have and people on the tour two don't have at all is that she travels with a sports psychologist she i have does. no idea i have no idea how a 19 year old has the wherewithal to I find it really interesting that she does travel with one because you would think that someone who's like super volatile, like a Novak Djokovic per se, would, would be one who would need one. So he would he might would, he might want to take some notes, to be honest. He might want to. Yeah. Cause like she seems so calm. So maybe her calmness is a result of traveling with one, but it's like even even yeah but even with her like press conferences and everything like she just seems like a very calm and humble spirit like even off the court so i'm like either that that uh that's uh psychologist needs some sort of a raise or something because she's like worked <laughs> it was, miracles because it was her birthday just, too yeah on the, yeah, on the it, day of the final, it was her birthday. Well, the sports psychologist's birthday. It was crazy how, like, there was so yeah. much symmetry in the... Because there's some symmetry, and we'll get to it in a second, on the men's side. But that mm -hmm. part had some symmetry, too. The fact that she had lost to Simona Halep the year before, got her in basically mm -hmm. the same... Did she get her in the same round again? Basically. Yeah, she did. She got her in the fourth round again. So she beat her, and then she gets to the final again not losing a set and just like shocks i feel like saying the world means especially in 2020 especially at the french open which i feel like is the detroit of grand slams it's the <laughs> one where you can have a breakthrough but the world doesn't necessarily open up for you like the biggest as if you right. were doing Wimbledon or the u.s open u.s open that's totally fair one thing that is interesting that i i totally forgot until did you see the uh the clips of her being excited watching a doll practice from her junior days yeah that was cute yeah. did, did you ha did you happen to see what she was wearing she was wearing nike huh <laughs> she was oh, and, I, I forgot to mention yeah she was wearing nike and she doesn't wear nike yeah. anymore <laughs> she doesn't so she literally just inked this um asics deal as of this year because yep. before she actually was yeah, she was actually wearing Nike all the way up until 2020. So I don't know how long that A6 contract is. If it's long, good on A6 for swooping her up at the most ideal time because I know Nike's going to want her back. But I don't know if that's even an option right now because I don't she know what that. She should not. The only thing she should keep in her game, I'm glad you mentioned that because she just got a contract with a6 at the top of the year but she doesn't have a racket contract and she is the she's one of the very 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 few players that plays with a prince racket that's probably mm -hmm. another reason why i like her because i play with prince rackets too <laughs> and you can you you really can't find prince rackets like in small retail uh sports shops or like in um i mean you can it just the the ability to find them is definitely not on the same range with like Wilson, Babolat, or Head. 
which are like the top three record brands. And it's crazy because Prince at one point used to be all over the tour. Like if you were a professional right. player playing with Prince and she is actually the first winner to win with the Prince racket since 2013, Marianne Bertoli. Interesting. I love <laughs> the also, fun facts. Who also didn't drop a set in that tournament. Sharapova won in what, 2014, right? Nah, Sharapova's last Grand Slam win with the Prince racket was 08, Australia. Oh, so she switched? I didn't realize she switched from Prince. What did she switch to? The fact that I know this. <laughs> she, <laughs> Only you she, would. Only I know, you right? Would. She started playing with she started playing with a blacked out racket in 2010. And then she officially uh, switched her head in 2011. So when she won the French Open in 2012 and 2014, she was under her head contract. Interesting. The thing's only okay, miles Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, only miles. only miles knows. <laughs> so I think we've talked about Suyantek enough. I feel like we've given her praise. She is definitely going to be, um, well, you know what? I don't want to say she's going to be anything because tennis commentators have such a way of doing that, especially they love the, the pressure. You are. The, the younger you are, the more they're going to load that pressure onto you. It, literally, as soon new- as she got to the final, as soon as she or something to that effect and i'm just like yes like right. i'm all for giving her her flowers and she deserves the congratulations no doubt but like don't put <laughs> unnecessary pressure for her to be some gigantic superstar after literally in this case right. her first tournament win not just her grand first grand literally slam, her, her first, first tournament first as a title. professional elite tennis player <laughs> this is her first one and at 19 at that she can't even legally buy alcohol in right. America. <laughs> so you know this, Brian. I've been talking about her since last year. So <laughs> You have been. I can officially say on the record that <laughs> I did not even know who she was, really, until Miles brought her to my attention. Um, literally, I have tons of friends who are in like the tennis space, and literally no one was talking about her at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to give those kudos to Miles because he he recognized the greatness very early on and yeah. held strong to it even when she had some just so so results. He he held tough, um, and now I see why. I mean, I feel like these eyes work very well, and they can <laughs> spot good talent when they see them. <laughs> Moving on to the men's singles final or the men's side of the tournament well actually we're gonna get back to the women's side of the tournament but moving on to the men's singles final which is in a way shocking in certain levels it's shocking but the result certainly is and the name of the champion certainly is not either it's Rafael Nadal for the 13th time in his career he wins Roland Garros not one not three but 13 13 one three. We we're, were speaking of Svantec being nineteen. She, he has won this tournament for the first time, or he won this tournament for the first time at nineteen years old in two thousand and five, and now he is thirty three or four. Thirty four or two. He's thirty four. Thirty four. And he's won it for his thirteenth time. And to put it in even in even more perspective, because Svantec said that he's obviously one of her idols. She was four years old when he won his first Roland Carroll's title. 
which is pretty crazy. 34 is definitely like in the grand scope of tennis, 34 or just in sports in general is where people start putting question marks like, okay, should you still be doing this? Because as a mm -hmm. professional athlete, your body is your ticket and there's only so much you can do before certain things just start to not work how they used to. And it's just something you have to accept as aging. Right. Our, like our bodies are not meant to be perfect and let alone to be to go through a grind that it takes to be a professional athlete so him accomplishing that and winning his 20th grand slam title as a whole is it's remarkable like i i, I think that i think that his story is going to be one that sits in the record book for a long time and maybe i know in general i think for casual tennis fans and for diehard tennis fans, if you polled more people, I think Roger Federer is basically the face of tennis. Not even just men's tennis or women's tennis. He's just the face of tennis. Maybe Serena Williams. And I mean, I love Serena Williams, but Serena Williams is like the only other person that could be the face of tennis in, in women or men. But, you know, misogyny is a thing and people don't really like giving credit to women so it's basically roger federer and the fact that he's white so it, yeah cherry on top <laughs> he is the face of tennis but i really yeah. do think i really do think and i'm glad that he had i'm glad that roger federer had the rivalry he's had with rafael nadal because him being attached to roger federer like that makes his story one even more so to like really learn about so i'm really happy for him i feel like i've been watching him forever <laughs> And the fact yeah. that he was able to win this specific tournament in 2020 with all the stuff we mentioned prior, the fact that one, it's amidst a pandemic, two, it's in October instead of May slash June, three, we didn't mention this, but they switched the traditional balls that they use when they play that tournament. They switched from Babolat Balls, which is a French company, to Wilson Balls. He still won. Mm -hmm. He still didn't drop a set. <laughs> It's like really, as I sit here, it's just one of those things that your brain kind of just has to process. <laughs> he didn't let all this talk and the speculation like weigh on him because people were hyping up Novak so much for this tournament, and it was really irking me. Granted, I will give it to him; he is the number one player. He had not lost to an opponent this entire year. Mm -hmm. Um. And the traditional way. He was he was riding riding a huge wave, the traditional way. So I see why everyone was giving him like putting him as like the betting odds favorite and everything like that. But I'm like, you guys, at the end of the day, it's still Rafael Nadal. It's still Roland Garros. It's still it's his house. Tennis. So it, it it's his house. So it was it was boggling my mind. People were putting so much weight on him being like almost like the clear favorite and the doll being the number two. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, I would never, I would <laughs> never bet against the doll at the Rolling unless he was like clearly hobbled or something, but it's like a healthy doll. I would never bet against him. I'm glad you went from talking about Djokovic and talking about Nadal. He deserves that. Djokovic doesn't deserve to be talked about as much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Since you, since we were on the topic of um, Federer and Nadal, how would you, would you put them as co-goats at the moment? Would you put one as a goat above the other? 
what's what's your what's your thinking around that topic that whole entire discussion is kind of draining honestly <laughs> i've liked and disliked them or i've liked and disliked all three of them at certain stages of their career and then mm-hmm. i've had to like look at it for a long time <laughs> for the most part yeah. so i think maybe i think when literally they're all three have hung up the racket I don't think it's going to be at the same time. But when the last of those three, Rafa, Roger, or Novak, hang up the racket, it's just going to be so much easier to say who was better and who wasn't because there's not mm-hmm. going to be any more blanks to write in as far as, you know, accomplishments. So yeah, this isn't this isn't the Novak Djokovic stand account, but I do give him, I do give Novak Djokovic the props that he deserved because... Definitely. Like, in, He's a great player. Yeah, in regards to props, he did his thing in this tournament itself he got to the final. Now, he kind of got his ass whooped in the final. <laughs> well, <laughs> at one point, he was down 6-love, 4-1. And it looked like it was going to be even shorter. Slaughterhouse. Than, yeah, it, it looked like it was going to be even shorter yeah. of a day than what it already was. Um, he right. made a little bit more of a match of it in the third set. But it was interesting because as I watched it, do you think it was more of Rafael Nadal just basically shining and doing all the things that he does well on the day? Or was it more Novak Djokovic just did not show up? When I was watching it, I don't think, and I'm, I want to give Rafael Nadal his credit, he went out there and won the match and did everything well. But I do think mm-hmm. there's a certain factor of Novak Djokovic kind of just not being up to par that day towards the latter part of his semifinal match against Sitsipas, which was a great match. He started blasting the ball almost like in frustration that he was still out there because he and already he wasn't and yeah. he wasn't missing. It's like why not? It just keep going to the drop shots where I'm like, this just doesn't really make sense. And then I mean Nadal he he was went he was winner after winner and barely I think he had like two errors in the whole first set, something like crazy like that. Um with with as hard as he was hitting the ball to only have only hit two errors is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Speaking of losing tactics in a final, we didn't mention Kennan, who <laughs> Igor Sugatek beat in the final. Sophia Kennan uh, from America. Uh, yeah. So shout out to American Tennis. Yay! <laughs> yep. We were talking about likability, and she has a tinge. I like, I've been using Ugh. the word lately. She has just a small tinge. Is tinge even a word? We're going to roll with it. We're, she has a small <laughs> of unlikability to her. She's young. I'm in, my, I'm in my 20s, and I've changed a lot since 21. So, like, I give people that grace to be, to evolve into whoever they're going to be or be on their journey or whatnot. But she just always, Kenan just always marches around the court like she is looking for the supervisor at TJ Maxx. And she stomps. She's she, she's like stomping, throwing balls down. Especially when she's it's, it's off. It's off putting. It's, it's it's as off putting as that video that went viral of that white lady hitting her hand on the stroller, and she was told by Apple Care. That's really what she kind of gives off. <laughs> that's really what she gives off. I was told by Apple Care. She. Was, that's really what I get when I watch her, but. I think that energy is what makes her like a feisty competitor. Definitely. Because she had to win her matches to get to the final. I want to say she went to three sets four times. Four times, yeah. Yeah. Which is not easy. 
her body kind of let her down towards the end of the tournament. But it kind of makes sense because, she, I mean, four three-set matches to get there. So right. her legs were probably tired. They were, you know, she was on the slower clay and that kind of was exposed. And then you add Ego Spiontek playing the, the match of her life against that. It just wasn't a good, it wasn't a good draw for her. Um, yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to get off your chest about Roland Garros? Because I'm just happy it's done, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, I love I think that was it. Yeah, I think that was it. Again, thank you for being the best friend to the pod. I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. And <laughs> I'm going to make sure I drop your information so they can see you while you travel all across L.A. and be the, <laughs> famous, <laughs> the famous hitting partner that you are. <laughs> I'm trying out here. I'm trying. <laughs> All right, guys, if you are still with me, I appreciate it. Hopefully your ears did not bleed or crack or anything of of that nature while listening to me and Brian's conversation, because admittedly, I was a little hesitant on whether or not I should post it because I really had to do some surgery on the audio because it just the Internet just was not our friend that day. It just wasn't, and I hate that it had to be like that for you guys. But like I said earlier, I really wanted you guys to listen to what me and Brian had to say on the tournament, and there were just a few things that I wanted to address that either didn't make the cut because we couldn't hear each other, (laughs) or looking back on the conversation, things that me and Brian didn't discuss that we probably should have. There were some surprising names in the tournament that made some deep runs. These names are from people that were like outside of the top 100 or even 200 on the men's singles and women's singles sides that had really incredible tournaments. And hopefully that turns out to be a career changer for some of these players. And we keep hearing their names to where the point that, you know, they hang around and we can root for them on the men's side. There was an American by the name of Sebastian Corda, who actually is the son of a professional tennis player back in the 90s, who I want to say won the Australian Open back in 1990 something. Let me let me fact check that, actually. Yeah. Peter Corda, who won the 1998 Australian Open and was a runner up in the 1992 French Open, his son, Sebastian Corda actually made the fourth round of this French Open and lost to Rafael Nadal. So that was a great tournament for him, especially considering the fact that he qualified and was ranked outside of the top 200. That's a really nice accomplishment. And then there was a kind of real cool, kind of cute moment between uh, Sebastian Corda and Rafael Nadal. Sebastian Corda actually looked up to Rafael Nadal in hopes to one day become a professional tennis player like him. So he even named his pet cat after Rafael Nadal, which is kind of cool slash kind of creepy only because I really am not a fan of cats. Sorry if you're a cat fan, but I'm just personally not. I just haven't met a cat yet. That makes me go like, Oh, maybe one day I will, but, um, <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my expectations are not high. <laughs> there were some other male players I wanted to shout out. Uh, one by the name of Hugo Gaston. He is a left-handed Frenchman player that had a really good tournament. He is only 20 years old. I believe he got a wild card into the tournament. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, he got a wild card into the tournament and made it all the way to the fourth round. He's a young French left-hander to keep an eye out for. I just like the way he plays. He plays with a whole bunch of drop shots, like incredible amounts of drop shots, and he just makes the game look like 
fun out there. There was also a nice deep run from a German player by the name of Dennis Altmaier, who plays almost exactly like the Swiss player Stan Wawrinka. He has a one-handed backhand, and he also notes Stan Wawrinka as a, his influence for wanting to play the sport, and he also came through qualifying. So good run from him. And one more young gun I wanted to shout out that had a really great tournament at Roland Garros was Yannick Sinner. He is the 19-year-old from Italy. I want to say he's 19. I think he's 19. Let me double check that. Yeah. Yannick Center is 19. Has been touted as like the next big thing in tennis. The next, you know, like the next, I don't know what they're comparing him to, but he is just a, he's a nice sight to watch. He's kind of real chill on the court and just for a 19 year old, you just really wouldn't believe that he had the best tournament of his life, honestly. During that week, he just was so cool, calm, and collected. And he came into the tournament ranked outside of the top 70, which is not bad for a 19-year-old at all. But he got all the way to the quarterfinals to face Rafael Nadal. He ended up losing in uh, straight sets, although they had a tight first set. So he had a really, really great tournament. And shout out to him. I expect that we will be seeing a lot of him in the next couple of years just because he has such a smooth game. And he can only go up from here, hopefully. Hopefully, I didn't jinx him just now. (laughs) On the women's side of things, there were a bunch of names that broke through and just busted up the entire bracket. Like, I mean, no one really saw uh, Igor Swiatek or Sophia Kennan get into the final. So that shows you right there that the, the draw was just completely wide open. First, I want to give a shout out to Martina Trevisan from Italy and another Italian as well. She came through qualifying and got all the way to the quarterfinals, losing to Swiatek. And, and she beat a lot of good names to get to where she got in that, in that tournament. She beat the number five seed, Kiki Burtons. She beat the up-and-coming teenager, Coco Goff. She beat the really, really tough out in Maria Sakari from Greece. So she beat some great players and came through qualifying. And she also um, admitted or... She kind of shared and was transparent in the fact that she had to take some time away from tennis to deal with the eating disorder that she had. So you never like to hear that, but it is something that is common in sports just because your body is your ticket. And unfortunately, it's something that's not talked about, but I think it should be because it just opens the door for people to have open, honest conversations about it so that it doesn't become like this overwhelming black cloud and something that can tear people down so shout out to her for battling through that and battling through the tournament to have the best tournament of her career in a grand slam another player i wanted to mention that me and brian didn't get a chance to talk about was nadia podoroska a lot of people have been butchering her last name to me it's not that hard (laughs) it's not ponderosa it's not uh pork chop it's not none of that stuff like I really wish people would stop disrespecting her name, but it's Nadia Podoroska. She's from Argentina. She came out of nowhere and got all the way to the semifinals, losing to Swiatek, and she beat some good names. She beat the number three seed, Alina Spitalina, to get into the semifinals. So she, (laughs) I mean, I did not know her from a can of paint in this tournament and she turned it on and she didn't actually drop too many sets to get to the semifinals. So we might be looking at maybe a, a spark in Argentine tennis. We shall see. <laughs> 
we shall definitely see. She really has a nice all-around game. And it was nice to see, again, a newcomer that we hadn't really heard about kind of make her way through the draw. Also, shout out to the young Tunisian woman representing for all of the Middle Eastern women in tennis, Anj Jabur. She made another fourth round of a major, losing out to Danielle Collins in three tough sets. I like the way she plays. She's so crafty. It's like she has a wand out there in her hands and she's just kind of creating and crafting points. So I really want to see more out of her. And I think that was it. Those were the women that, you know, really aren't full household names that I wanted to give some shine to, which leads me to another point that I, that me and Brian talked about that I, that didn't really get recorded very well was the idea that some journalists and people in tennis media have that the women's draw is just way too open or it somehow just doesn't doesn't have consistency or that it somehow pales in comparison to the men's tour just because the men's tour has arguably the best three tennis players in the world playing at the same time in Roger, Rafael, and Novak Djokovic, which I can kind of see that perspective. But to me, sometimes they cross the line to almost disrespecting the way the women carry themselves and the entertainment that the women bring to the sport. And I don't really like seeing that because for me, I'm probably going to find myself watching a, a woman's match over a male match. That's just my perspective. Some people are the complete opposite. It's just for me, I like having a nice balance. I mean, I can't even say that because I honestly do watch more female matches than male matches. One, because Serena Williams is my favorite and the reason I started watching the sport. And two, honestly, just because they are more intriguing. I think on the men's side, I think on the men's side, you kind of have, and I used, I used this metaphor on Twitter not too long ago. I think on the men's side, you have like your three basic flavors <laughs> or you have enough flavors to cover your palate. You got your vanilla, you got your chocolate, you got your strawberry, and you can pick and choose out of Rafa, Novak, and Roger, which one you kind of want to dedicate all your fandom to and, and root for and just watch every match for. And that's kind of where it is. It's easy to pick one, to pick your lane and stay in it. Whereas on the women's side, we have way more than three flavors. Like there are like 32 flavors Baskin Robbins style for you to choose from and cheer for. There's not just three players dominating all of the big tournaments like there are on the men's side. And some people like it that way. I prefer a little bit more variety when I go into my local ice cream shop. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. Sometimes I want a little caramel or caramel, <laughs> or sometimes I want some cheesecake flavor. And I just, something, I want something dynamic. And I think that's what the women's game gives me. And I wish people wouldn't disrespect the women's game because the women that play tennis consistently rank either in the top most influential female athletes and the top highest paid female athletes so you can't tell me that the women aren't doing their fair share to promote the sport and make the sport grow and you know have it hold value so those reporters and people that just constantly try to finagle their way into downing the wta and women's tennis find somewhere to go because i don't think it's fair and i think that in a couple of years after those three um, legends retire, you're going to be looking at a very similar situation. So you may want to start retracting your um, disdain for the variety in the women's tour because it'll happen soon enough. Soon, sooner rather than later, there's going to be a whole bunch of random men holding trophies that you're like, wait, where did he come from? So just hold tight. It'll happen. It just 
it's just one of those things in the sport where, you know, generations and eras, they just come and go. It's just with everything. Things evolve. So I wanted to leave you guys with a quick holding and breaking segment before I end the episode. It's really quick. Um, what I'm holding on this week, I have been rewatching and then catching up on the Fox series 911 starring Angela Bassett. She does a really, really good job on that show. And I started watching it back in 2018 when it first premiered. And I, and honestly, I fell off a little bit. But now, thanks to Hulu, I am in the depths of season two. And there are just some really, really great moments. Um, her Angela Bassett stars in it and Aisha Hines. Those two women care. I'm not going to say they carry the show, but they their scenes together, they're definitely great black actresses. And I like to see how they both interact with each other. So if, if you have never watched 911 or if you're a fan of 911, Go stream it on Hulu. You might be able to find it somewhere else, but Hulu has every episode. And it's just really good television, action-packed. It's kind of like a first responder Fox thriller. So sometimes it can be a little corny. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, it's really good entertainment. And I've, I can't stop watching it lately. And that's what I'm holding. What I am breaking on, I think I'll just keep it simple and say that me and Zoom are at a point of no return right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't hate Zoom, but she just got on my everlasting last nerve this past week. And I don't understand why. So I'm going to break on Zoom. She can go somewhere. I think I have um, figured out a way to process uh, remote interviews without using Zoom. So we're going to we're going to practice that and hopefully that shows in better audio quality next time I have a guest on the show. So <laughs> for right now, that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. I, I think I gave a sneak peek in an episode prior to this one about HBCU culture, but me and my friends had a really, really, really interesting and long, <laughs> long conversation the other day talking about the Southern University Baton Rouge human jukebox and the fabulous dancing dolls that dance with them. And that episode will be up sometime soon. And I can't wait for you guys to hear that. And I think that's it. I am going to link where you can follow the podcast in the description of this episode. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes and you can subscribe download and stream wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to tell somebody else if you are enjoying the podcast because every lesson i get means something to me it makes me feel like i'm doing something worthwhile and it kind of makes me feel like you guys are on this journey with me so thank you guys for listening stay safe stay sane do all the things that you want to do do all the things that you have to do to do the things you want to do and i will catch you guys next week talk to you later